0: Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Tomfoolery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin, and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Springer. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Uh, contrary to how we normally start, uh, these podcasts, I'm going to start off on a, a very somber note, actually. Uh, as we record this, it's six days since the horrific, uh, mass murder that took place at the uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. And, you know, where 17 people died, uh, most of them children. And, uh, so uh, we want to discuss that because it's obviously on everyone's mind and uh, we'd like it to go beyond our thoughts and prayers or with you, which has, you know, become no more significant than saying, hey, have a nice day as you, you pass someone. It, you know, it's lost its, its meaning in a sense. I want you to listen to this. Holy... Wow. So there you have it. Imagine, just imagine being there at the time. Imagine your kids in that school, even the kids that survived. And uh, isn't that everyone's kid? So today we have with us, uh, we're all going to talk about this, but as I understand it, Gene, we have on, a, on the phone someone that you contacted and knew, a, a Rick Kaufman. Yeah, let me
2: give some background yeah. on Rick, and we'll invite him on. Welcome him on. Um, for a number of years, I taught a course as an adjunct professor at Xavier University, Miami Mater, and the course was. I'm a lifelong educator, as is Rick Kaufman, and my course was school public relations. And that included crisis management. So a number of years ago, I did some internet research and I found this guy who is a crisis manager, head of the PR division of a school district. At the time that I found him, he had kind of recently been the head of the Columbine School System in Littleton, Colorado, uh, April 20th, I believe. Rick will clean this up if I 1999, get this wrong. 1999, right.
1: 1999,
2: 16 kids were killed. Rick Hoffman, uh, as this story has been explained to me, raced to that district on somewhat of a rumor on a radio station. He wasn't hearing from the district, along with an assistant superintendent, and they drove at illegal speeds, being passed by emergency first responders, passing them on the way. And he literally got there uh, as it was happening, and if not, just in the aftermath. Rick Hoffman is an EMS in another life, emergency first responder. And the first thing he did is save lives, got kids on helicopters, and then had to turn his attention to dealing with what a school district deals with, with a crisis like that. So the point of asking Rick to come on, and he spoke to my class many times every year, very faithfully, if I asked, he did it, over a conference phone to my students, teachers who wanted to be principals. What do you do if something like this happens? This is the pinnacle of an emergency crisis. So let's say hello to Rick Kaufman, who now is the Executive Director of Community Relations and Crisis Management at the Bloomington, Minnesota Public Schools. Let's say hello to Rick. Hey, Rick, hey, Rick.
1: Uh, Rick hey. thanks, thanks for joining us, and uh, obviously wish you we were under better circumstances, but uh, this is something that you can really talk about because you lived it, and uh, when you heard what had happened last week, what was your first reaction? Were you thinking about, "Oh my gosh, I know exactly what they're going through. If I was there, this is what I would do." Tell me about it.
3: Yeah, in a lot, in many cases, that's been the um, the situation after each of these uh, mass casualty incidents, um, whether it was St. Hook, whether it was Virginia Tech, uh, or some even the smaller school shooting incidents. And so last week. Um, I, I was typically tipped off by a colleague or someone uh, close to the school system, as I was, again, last week, and um, all those emotions that you uh, we went through almost uh, 19 years ago, um, they come flooding back, but then, the, because this is my, not only my profession, but my passion, it, it's uh, I go into the mode of, what can I do to help? And, uh, you know, in, in some respects prepare my community for the impact it will have on them, even though we're a thousand miles away.
1: What should, let's get right to the nut of it. Um, what should the schools do? I mean, there's a the larger issue of guns and all that, and we'll get to that uh, later on. But if, if, to any parent that has kids in school now, when you send your kid to, uh, to school for six or seven hours of the day, you are turning over the most important thing in your life to these professionals, teachers, administrators, et cetera. And don't parents have a right to believe that their child will be safe? And therefore, the difficult question is, what do these schools do to make it safe? Knowing that there are people out there with guns, knowing that there are people that are out there that are deranged, knowing that there are people out there with all kinds of motives, what what can the school do to make it safe?
3: Well, I think the first thing to point out, to Jerry, is that schools are safer today, largely because we've learned so much over the last 19 years. After each one of these incidents, we learn more and we implement more. We look for ways to improve our not only our crisis response, but our intervention mitigation programs those those pieces that are far where your money is far better spent because you want to prevent these things from happening, so whether it's identifying a disenfranchised or disengaged student and get them the resources and the help they need because many of these perpetrators, in fact all of them that we know in mass casualty incidents have what we call leakage, they've let others know through a variety of different sources, whether it's social media, whether it's conversations, whether it's uh, you know diaries of some sort, they don't work in isolation. And in many cases, when the information becomes available and it's either shared with authorities or it's shared with school personnel, as adults, we can act on it. Unfortunately, we've seen where that hasn't happened. The early reports out of uh, the Parkland shooting last week is that This this young adult uh, exhibited significant signs that school staff were responding to, and in some cases it was passed on to the FBI. That is somewhat similar to the Columbine situation where we had a a student of the two perpetrators at Columbine High School that gave information to his parents, and those parents turned it over to the Sheriff's Department. And after a cursory review and um, that's as far as it went. So, what can schools do? They can continue to uh, implement changes to facilities to create what we call target hardening or barriers to prevent or at least slow down these intruders into a school. The second piece is where we can implement significant training and drills of staff and students so that they are prepared in the event. Does it need to be,
1: okay, let's, uh, I understand what you're saying. Does there need to be, because it's not always the student that is currently in school, and by the way, there's nothing to say that in the future it won't be someone that didn't go to that school, Uh, just some crazy person that wants to blow up something. Does there need to be more than you know, one, two, three officers patrolling around the school. Look, we had problems in airports right after 9 11. And then right away, all of a sudden, we had absolute, secu- or it's close to absolute security as you can get at airports. And it's worked pretty well, pretty well. But the place is inundated with cameras, uh, police protection looking at bags, everything. You know what it's like to go into an airport. It sometimes annoys us when we're in RE. And yet, I look at a school, and I'm not, you know, criticizing. I'm just saying maybe we ought to rethink this. We've got a couple of thousand kids in a school, or let's say a 1,000 or 500, depending on what the, you know, community, how large the community is. We got all those kids in a school for eight hours, and we got one or two officers walking around who are we kidding if someone wants to really get through it you know how did how do you get close to the school and then there's the question well even if you wait till they come out as happened in in parkland that the kids were actually leaving and in other words maybe this is a bigger security problem than we think i'm all in favor of saying you know let's spot who these kids are let's you know keep an eye on them you know what do you do? You go if you find out a kid's troubled. Are you going to go to their home and see if they have any guns? Do their parents have any guns? I mean, there always there's always another question that follows. But in the meantime, while all this stuff is going on, don't we need to secure the place where a thousand children are for eight hours in the day?
3: Well, a couple of things. We know what perpetrators every perpetrator that has enacted a mass casualty incident, whether it's been a workplace or a school setting, the perpetrator knows the facility. They know how to gain access. They know uh, the entire facility layout. In some cases, they're doing their planning around that location and what will give them the best opportunity for these, these targets of opportunity. The more mass casualties that they can perpetuate, that's what their plan is. So we, they already know the facility. You mentioned uh, airport security. And while they have significant security measures in place, we have seen such attacks on airports that have occurred very similar to the school incidents where the perpetrators gaining access immediately and causing some chaos, mayhem, and death before that person is neutralized. So n- not to say that schools aren't more secure today. They are. But there are lots of ways to approach this. It, it, and, and one of the things that is sad to say, uh, Jerry and and Gene and, and, and Megan, is that there is no 100% fail-safe method out there sure. today that present, prevents these unfortunate incidents from occurring.
1: Totally understand that. And it's not like, gee, why didn't you see that happen or whatever. No, it's to learn from this. But it would seem to me one of the things if I was a principal of a school and I knew I kinda had responsibility for all these students there, I'd kinda wanna beef up protection right now. And it may mean you have to have an area around the school that before they even get to the building that, you know, they're not allowed to, a stranger isn't allowed to pass through, or if someone is on a watch list, like a kid that has a problem. You know, I I don't know. I'm not in charge of law enforcement. I don't know the exact techniques. It just seems to me, when you talk about a soft target, I can't imagine a softer target, frankly, than a school. Do you realize there are 90, I just looked it up,
2: 90,000 Elementary schools in the U.S. That's just elementary. Mm. Got to add middle schools and high schools. The expense of, if you accepted every school as a place we have to surround with cops, National Guard, however you want to do it, from here forward in our lives, huge expense.
1: Right. But it would be locally. In other words, schools are funded, and I'm not crazy about this, but the Truth of the matter is most schools are funded by local property taxes or whatever, the local community. Mm-hmm. So part of the expense of a local school would now be, and I, I imagine that people kind of would be willing on this issue to say, okay, maybe we got to pay a little more and this extra money goes be to- a little. So no, it, it won't maybe, be a little. Even it, if it's not a little. Because I'm I, thinking
2: of all the school dist- all the schools in Cincinnati public that I'm familiar with, or my grandkids' school district, or Northern Kentucky where you live, Megan. It, uh, now, I'll jump ahead to something. As an alternative to that, ban AR-15s and buy back the ones that are there and then live with the number of ones that are floating around. Far less expensive far. It, in fact, it's political will is the only cost of it. But anyway, that, that I'm gets totally into the politics.
1: But yeah, we'll talk in a moment yeah. about what we have to do about guns. I don't want to belittle that, but I would say in the moment, as I said, if I were a principal and I know that, you know, the debate that's going to take place nationwide, the debate that's going to go on in Congress, all the politics in the meantime, the kids are coming to school on Monday. And what do we do right away? And well I
3: think I think it's important to point out that schools have significant made significant changes that limit access to buildings um, we've as I said we've learned a lot in the last nineteen years. The reason we are looking at certain political solutions, whether it's guns or mental health funding, is because schools have reinforced the measures, those physical structure changes, limiting access to buildings. They have put significant amount of dollars into uh, intervention and prevention programs. They have done... Uh, schools are the safest place for a student to be other than the home. The chances of a student of being injured or killed outside of school is far greater than a student in school. Now that pales in comparison to what we saw happen last week. And when these things happen, especially when the fatality count is so high and brings on such uh, a large national exposure through media and conversation, is when we hear from lots of folks who want to take uh, knee-jerk reactions to, the, or say that schools aren't safe or schools haven't done enough. The fact is, is that we have, and I'm not going to go out completely on a limb and say that uh, to completely defend schools. There's much more we can do. Um, But that conversation has to be done in each community and what people are willing to support. So, Jerry, you talked about uh, additional resources. In Bloomington and many schools across the country, we have gone to special referendum to get millions of dollars to make significant changes in our schools over the last couple of years to make them more safe and more secure, all in the hopes of staying one step ahead of the bad guys.
1: Well, th- th- that is great to hear, and, and I'm sure that's going on. You're talking to me here, and I know so little about this because I haven't been involved in it right now. I do know it. most schools now, there's only one door you're allowed to go in. They, they do have metal detectors. They do, you know, you're asked questions immediately. I know there's a lot more going on. I'm I'm not trying to put the blame on people that run the schools. What I'm just saying is that, when I hear the reports of that and I see there's one, two, three security people walking around on campus, I'm just saying to myself, that's just feel good stuff. That's not going to stop anything. So is there, that's the question we should all be asking on all these issues, including on guns, which we're going to get to. Is there more we can be doing? It's our kids. What question wouldn't you ask?
3: There is more that we can do. When you look at and well, if you look in Florida, the question I ask is: Ask is how did he get into that facility? If that facility had a single point of entry, how did he make access to it? Get in the school with a soft case that carried a gun, and then he had access to the to hallways and then pull the fire alarm. How because did all, he all the kids, as
1: to- I understand it, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, as I understood it. All the kids were coming out of the school. No,
2: no, actually not. It was, it was still, it was still during the school day, but here's what I assumed happened, Rick, because I have lived this and you lived it. And I've worked in a bunch of schools in my life and you have as well. It it was at the latter part of the day. There are, this is what I assume. There are kids who get what we call an early dismissal. He went into the so-called freshman building of that uh, Douglas high school And there are kids who leave. And and schools are like this. There are doors you can go out. They all lock once they close. I have been in schools where kids, because somebody wants to sneak out and sneak back in or stick a stick in the door. That does happen. I suspect kids left. Not everybody, but an early dismissal kid went out. He looked like them. And he said, hey, hang on. Hold that door. Boom. And he's in. And he's in And once he's in, he's in with a duffel bag or a back, probably a backpack, takes out his weapons, puts on a gas mask, pulls a, a fire alarm, and it's on. That's what I assumed happened. Yeah. So and, But to your point. point, Jerry, no. how do you stop that? That is real hard to stop. Rick, one other thing, your training and your job includes what happens as the crisis manager person. After the event, and you, like I, are watching what these young people from Douglas are doing, they are—they have chosen, I heard one say last night in an interview on cable news, everybody grieves differently. We are choosing to grieve by taking action and fixing a national situation. Well, God bless them for that version of grieving. Rick, what do you have to do in managing a crisis at Douglas High School in the next week or so for that emotional reverberation that goes on after 17 of your teachers and classmates are dead.
3: Well, I mean, you, you try to channel it. You don't want to stop the movement. You don't want to stop the students that are choosing the path they have in terms of how they deal with their grief, how they deal with all the stages of their grief, I should say. It's interesting that today, 19 years later, the what students are doing today is not all that different than the students at Columbine High School. But there's so much more exposure with social media, and the galvanizing that occurs through those various different social media platforms that has raised not only the interest level in Florida but across the country. And let's face it, whether you're a student or an adult, we're tired of seeing these mass casualties. We are tired of seeing students gunned down, um, murdered in such a senseless manner, and that there seems to be lots of answers. But no one wants to tackle those really tough answers. So from a mental health aspect, these students are dealing with their grief in a very different way in some respects. But it may be one of those aha moments when uh, psychologists and and, uh, uh, others will look in the future and say we saw a turning point in the history of how kids deal with grief.
2: All right. Thank you very much, Rick Hoffman. Let's say thanks you, Rick. Rick.
3: Very helpful
2: to our conversation. Rick, we will talk again. I appreciate it, friend. Thank you so much. Take care. Uh, Here is something that's going to happen, Jerry, and as you – because we want to ask you to give some thoughts on this whole thing. Uh, Let's turn to the politics for a minute, if we could. These kids from uh, Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, uh, as part of their grieving and their actions – have organized a thing called March for Our Lives, and it's going to happen on March 24th in Washington, D.C., and I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, instigate for people who can't go to Washington, D.C. that it happened in Sarasota, Florida, Cincinnati, Spokane, Washington, you name it, but th- it's led by students and organized by those students. And by the way, there were kids today from uh, Boca, which is about 10 miles from Parkland. And I don't know if you heard about this, but they walked out of their high school, the school officials. I've been one of these people. I've run schools. And, when they, and, and by the way, if I'm running a school and the kids walk out, my heart's with them. But I am thinking about liability and the responsible thing to do, it's, I'm conflicted, to be honest, as a school person, if that happens. But they walked out of that school and they walked 10 miles with police along with them because they were concerned about them. They didn't stop them, and they did a sympathetic march to the premises of, and it was all cordoned off with uh, caution, with crime tape. There were kids uh, the other day that left uh, their schools, walked out, And they went to the White House, 50 of them, and they laid down in front of the White House looking like they were dead. That was their walkout. There are walkouts. We've been following this in the news and on social media. There are walkouts. It's like uh, they're, uh, they're just happening. It's like flash fires. They're just happening. And then the Women's March people have organized another national march. I'm curious to see if they'll all say, hey, let's get on one page on the national march. Today, Nick Clooney, and then later in the day today, Oprah Winfrey, and Spielberg, George George Clooney, George Clooney, Clooney, his wife.
1: You're so Cincinnati. (laughs) It's true.
2: Nick Clooney is from Cincinnati area. So George Clooney, his wife, then separate from them, Oprah Winfrey, uh, Steven Spielberg, separate from them, are pumping money into this March 24th, March. The kids from Parkland today are probably by now in the state capital of Florida. They're going to meet with the governor tomorrow.
0: Uh,
4: and some President of the teachers Trump, are
0: too, aren't they? I've, I've thought I've read some some articles about some of the teachers uh, doing some walkouts as well that have been um, all
2: across the right? nation. So, so this is like this is happening. Yep. Yeah. This could be this moment in history where it's a children's crusade. It's un it's unstoppable. Uh, so. That the NRA and Donald Trump might may have met their match, because it's kind of hard to argue against these kids, isn't it, Jerry? I mean, to to criticize, there, some of them are doing it. Yeah. Ah, they're just tools of the left wing. Mm-hmm. They're looking pretty stupid. If the NRA comes out against kids, I'd like to see that fight, and I'll vote. I'll I'll put my money on the kids. Yeah, mm-hmm. because they're pure and they're victims, and they're waiting for them to get shot next week. Mm-hmm. It's unstoppable.
1: Yeah. But it takes time. I mean, what happens, the history of marches is that you have the march, which is created by a crisis, and everyone gets emotionally involved, and then several years later, some piece of legislation gets passed. Even the march on Washington with civil rights, it was what, the August of 63? It was until 65.
2: Gay rights the, is another right, example. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, Anti-war movement. So the message time. to the kids has to be that continue this. But for those who are 18, get yourself registered. If you've got a younger brother or sister, you're going to show up at the polls this November and vote for them. And we talked about this driving
2: down yeah. here. Mm-hmm. March for and our lives should turn into vote for our lives. Yeah. That's and a whole parallel movement. Yep. And where And by the way, there are, just to quote a number, there yeah. are... 26 million 18-year-olds. That, that's a number that changes year to year, but it's, it's around 30 million people in America are 18-year-olds. Then you add 19-year-olds and 20-year-olds, a block of people who don't that's vote. enough.
1: Every congressman in America is in jeopardy of losing this next election if people get out to vote on the issue of guns. The reason is, of America in every poll says we don't need assault weapons. We don't need the AR-15s. 90% of America is for that. Certainly, virtually every single parent is for that. Knowing that, you ask the question, how come, since everyone is against these weapons, virtually everyone, how come... Congress or the Senate or state legislators don't do anything about it. And the quick answer is, well, because the NRA gives all this money to these pro-gun legislators. But here's the part that isn't mentioned, and think about it. The NRA pours millions, hundreds of millions of dollars and their supporters into these campaigns But they don't run ads in favor of guns. You ever notice that? When Election Day comes, we don't have a national debate on guns. Never. It's never that. Then you say, well, where does all this NRA money go? What the NRA does, which is very smart, they send out their questionnaire. They see which congressmen, state legislators, and senators are with them. And then they pour their money in to beat the opponent. But they don't try to beat the opponent on guns because they know that's not popular. They find some other weakness of that opponent and run these grainy ads about how that guy's corrupt, that guy's a child molester, that guy, whatever. They run these negative campaigns that you see all the time and they never mention guns because they couldn't win on that issue. So rational people wonder, we've been against these assault weapons for our whole lifetime. How come we never win at the box, at the box office? At the, I'm in show business. <laughs> at the ballot box. How come we don't win on election day? it's because that's never on the ballot. That's what's going on here. So what we have to do with these kids who are ahead of us on this issue, understanding that it's their lives and their younger brothers and sisters at stake here and the world they're going to inherit and they don't want to grow up in a country that is the most violent country in the world. What we have to do is become for this next year a one issue voter. I am telling you if every american on in november this november goes to the poll and just votes on whether their congressman or the person on the uh, on the ticket is pro gun or for reasonable gun legislation if they just vote on that issue we will get the legislation we want. You will change Congress overnight. Now, that's going to mean that some Democrats lose. Oh, ch- ch- check Too it bad. out.
2: Rich Cordray yeah. today and Joe Schiavone, two prominent candidates in the Democratic primary for governor, will not go against AR-15s. I, I freaking flipped when I heard that. Rich Cordray. What is he doing? I'm going to cuss. Cover
1: your children's ears. They're chicken shits is what they are. You can't say chicken on a podcast. (laughs) By the way, what... You know, I can take any issue... I mean, that was the longest... bring
2: it down to... uh, I can't be serious. Some are saying, uh, do away with the Second Amendment. I've even heard that. Yes, there is. In the context of the
1: conversation. What's your take on that? Well... We have to understand why we have a Second Amendment in the first place. We have a Second Amendment in America because America is has basically, it was born in revolution, and it started out as a frontier society. So guns really were in the DNA of America, of the colonies. They, they were, as soon as they came over here, they were fighting, They either were fighting the Native Americans, they were fighting the French in the French and Indian War, they were fighting uh, ultimately the British, they were fighting each other, then they would move west, and everyone had to have a gun. I mean, you know, if if your family, was, if someone broke into your home, you couldn't call 911. So America was born in an era where everyone really had to have a gun. So it wasn't like crazy people saying, how could you have guns? We had a revolution. Of course everyone had guns. Now, when we formed a country, we had to have a constitution. We had to form a government. And because our forefathers were really pretty bright people, they knew since we had come from England and the power of the government and the king, we had to have a government that had... uh, checks and balances, we had to have a government where no one branch became too powerful. So we didn't want the president to be a king, so we had a Congress. And we didn't want the Congress to get too powerful, so we had courts that would make sure they abided by the Constitution. And we didn't want the courts to be so powerful, so we'd have the president be able to appoint who was or nominate who's on the court and the Senate would have to confirm. And it was every branch of government had a balance so they wouldn't become too powerful. So after they had this beautiful constitution, then they suddenly realized that the revolution was about what your own government can do to you, what a king could do to you, what tyranny is. And so we had the Bill of Rights. Every one of the first 10 amendments is protection against the government, the individual's protection against the power of government. So you had the First Amendment with, with freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly. The government wasn't allowed to interfere in what your private thoughts were. You had the Fourth Amendment with search and seizure. They couldn't break into your homes. You had the, uh, the oh, I'm blank, the uh, the, the, the Fifth Amendment. You, you, the government can't force you to testify against yourself. There has to be due process. In other words, the Ten Amendments are there to protect the individual citizen, to make sure the citizen can be free against a tyrannical government. And so they had the Second Amendment, which back then made a lot of sense. To protect yourself against an all-powerful government, everyone was allowed to still hold on to their arms, the right to bear arms. That is the Bill of Rights, and that was the birth of the Second Amendment. Well, we have learned, as the Supreme Court has interpreted the Constitution over these 240 years that no right is absolute. No right is absolute. That you are permitted to regulate all of our rights for a legitimate governmental purpose. So the First Amendment isn't absolute. You can't yell fire in a theater. The Fourth Amendment. No, they can't have an illegal search and seizure. They can't just bust into your home, except there's an exception to that. If the officers have reasonable grounds to believe that a crime is about to be committed in your your home or in your private property, they don't have to wait for a warrant for that. They can bust down the doors and, and, and break in on that. Every right has, if there's a legitimate governmental purpose, you can restrict it. And so you have the Second Amendment. In the Second Amendment, you have the right to bear arms. But can you restrict it for a legitimate government purpose? It's a legitimate government purpose to say that you shouldn't have a grenade launcher. You shouldn't be able to make a bomb that can, uh, you know, blow up the neighborhood. And certain weapons you don't have an absolute right to. You have a right not to have the government take away any kind of a weapon— but certain weapons, they can legislate. We could, we can legislate age, for example, on all kinds of things. We uh, legislate that there can be different rules for someone who's a minor and someone who's, um, you know, an adult. Having said that, that is the answer to the question about people that are talking about the Second Amendment. I don't know why this always gets raised when we talk about guns. Keep the Second Amendment. It has nothing to do with the debate about whether we can have reasonable legislation to protect ourselves against crazies and weapons that have no business being in the hands of private citizens. So we can have legislation which says no AR-7s. ar fifteen. Excuse me, AR-15s. We can have legislation which says... You can't have any kind of a gun that can shoot more than X number of bullets in 30 seconds. Or the magazines, we can put a limit on that. We can have this legislation. The only background checks. There's no constitutional reason you can't have it on any sale, on any purchase, There are no constitutional problems with that because all of these are legitimate governmental purpose to keep us safe. So the only question is, we don't have politicians with the guts to do the right thing because their campaigns are financed by interest groups that flood them with money and never have the guts to make guns the issue. They run campaigns against the opponents of of the people that love the guns, By using other issues to beat them. Just think about that. You can't remember when you look at all these candidates running for office. You might see someone against guns, but you don't see someone, vote for me, and I'll make sure you all have AK 15s, right? AR 15s. I'll get the. You can tell I have a water pistol. That's a. (laughs) My mother says, Gerald, you're not playing with guns. No guns for Jerry. <laughs> So I'll end it with this. The only way to stop this is, I think, to almost make this a one issue election. You want to finally stop this insanity when we have thousands of more murders a year than any other country in the world. And is that because Americans are demented and crazy compared to every other country in the world? No, it's because we're the only country in the world that has such easy access to weapons whose only purpose is to kill people. That Those kind of weapons can be part of a military Those weapons can even be part of uh, security forces in the United States, police departments, et cetera. I'm not saying they can't have weapons, but there's no excuse, no conceivable excuse, why any American citizen needs to be sitting at home with 25 guns, assault rifles. There's just no reason we're better than that.
2: Hey Megan, it, to uh, a different topic, certainly a much lighter topic. Uh, Jerry and I have been friends for just about 50 years and our wives have been friends as well. So we're kind of two couples that have been hanging out together for all these years. And wonderfully, every, I guess Thanksgiving day, Thanksgiving day, Valentine's <laughs> Day weekend, we go off to New York City.
0: Oh, that's right. You go to your,
2: your Q garden
0: store. And, and we do
2: that too, back to Jerry's old neighborhood. But <laughs> on Friday, again, just to show what a great guy I am, and I don't mean to, you know. Nobody uh, likes to shoot their own horn around here, so, but, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, this was. So we always go into this cigar store because it's kind of. I like to smoke cigars now, and then so does Jerry. So we go into the cigar store in Manhattan, and uh, Jerry goes over. This was a cigar store that sells. Also, uh, lighters and fountain pens. You know, sure. it's got a little yeah, bit of all the yeah, yeah, paraphernalia
1: yeah. that oh, goes yeah. with the ambiance of a cigar it's a smoker. Okay, type thing,
2: and I yeah. see him. Yeah. I see him over there uh, looking at this pen. He's with a clerk, and the guy has taken it out of, unlocked the Here's case, the taken it out, and Jerry's holding it. And I did this. I walked over. It's his birthday, and I walked over and I took out my credit card and I say, <laughs> it's, "It's his. Here, take." pay for I got it. (laughs) And here's what the guy did. This is exactly what happened. Go ahead. And my credit card's in the guy's hand. And God love him. I I thank this guy. And he took the card and he looked at me and he said... do you want to know the price? I'm thinking, Megan, a couple hundred bucks, two, three hundred bucks. Yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm in. That, that's a lot of money. For, I'm a, you know, for retired, a pen, so. I would agree. I don't even have Social Security, Megan. Right. But I'm going to pay for a two, three hundred dollar price. pen. And, that and awesome the dude nice. says, get ready, it's 4500 Megan? Did you cry I or did you pee I, yourself? I have never <laughs> seen Pulling <someone> a <laughs> car back. Pull a car. <laughs> the, the guy went, like, hey, somebody got The guy it. almost fell over. <laughs> hey. The guy almost fell over. That goes hurts right into there, $4, $4, you know, right there on the web. I jerked that car
1: back so fast. And what happened to this friendship? You <laughs> oh, said exactly. almost 50 years. If you <laughs> amortize it over 50 amortize years, the 4,000 isn't that much. It is about 200 a year. How Good many point. years did you not get me a birthday present?
0: So my question: uh, home, What was what? what makes a forty-five hundred dollar pen? Been
2: wondering it for like, four for days real, now. for real,
1: what does it do? Don't know. <laughs> hey, I, it writes. <laughs> <laughs> I tell so you that, what. So then the guy it was, said, "It was
2: pretty. It was cool. It was." So pretty. then the guy, the so guy said, "Come one. on over here," and he, and he looked at me because he knows I'm paying. He's got to sell me, not him.
1: Yeah, yeah. This is what so you got me. Not bad. Oh, nice. Can there we pass we it go. around? I'm
2: afraid I'll never this. get back to it. The guy said
1: 130 bucks.
2: The guy says I got this one. This is a $700 pen and it is on sale today for $238. I gave him the car right center. back. Done. <laughs> I didn't ask Jerry if he liked it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He might have come home and said, I'm stuck with this cheap-ass pen. I am. and
1: I knew I had to bring it tonight, otherwise Gene would say, where's your pen? You, you best bring that pen that's every actually week. actually a
2: pretty nice pen. It's a, focacca, <laughs> it's a
1: <laughs> pen. Hey, one other thing, and then we're going to bring $4, on.
0: $4,500 pen. What is, what? is what?
1: Forty five. dollars I didn't know it was that much in fairness.
0: They wouldn't even let me touch that. Are you kidding? They're taking it out of the case. I, I wouldn't let you touch it. I know, no way. Hey, that's my pen. my pen. Get off.
2: I asked Jerry when we left, because... Then you go into this room where uh, people are smoking, mostly guys, sometimes there's some women in there, and it's kind of cool, yeah. Friday afternoon smoking cigars. And I said to it's Jerry, death had I not been there, would you have bought, because he, he saw the look what, check this out, get that pen This is me. What's there's, it saying? I think it's a folk school, school coffee, parlor. coffee parlor. I got it. <laughs>
0: Gene, you and me both, buddy. It's in a jar. You and I me guys both stole it from hey, the
2: carpet. let's put this in. Let's put this in the jar. At the coffee parlor, just kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I said to Jerry, "Would you have bought that if had I not been there and you hadn't felt the guilt of association of oh, that might be a little exorbitant?" Mm-hmm. And you said, "No, that 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 was."
1: But well, what, what did, do you think? Although there's been times in my life, yeah. and I think you know one of the stories. I know when I was really. Stupid. embarrassed to say i couldn't afford it i'm i'll make this real quick god's truth story i'm in london uh in england uh about 20 years ago uh, 15 years ago and i was doing some tv there and i'm in the hotel lobby getting ready to go to um go to dinner that night and there's tony bennett and uh Tony had seen the show, whatever, and he says, hey, Jerry, how are you doing? It's great. Tony Bennett Bennett, watching the Jerry's Spaniel. It's so sad. I love that picture. (laughs) Oh, people watch it. No, I I, will watch it. But he did. I love that. I love that. No, actually, he came over in a boxing pose. Hey, Jerry, how are you doing? Like, I'm a fighter. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But he was totally nice, and, you know, so we're talking, and I said, well, what are you doing in town, giving a concert? He says, no, I have an art exhibit, because I don't know if you know that, but uh, Tony Bennett is an artist, Mm -hmm. I mean, a, a... a really accomplished artist, and he said he's having a, 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 an exhibition up in uh, uh, Hampstead. So he says, if you want to come there? Well, you know, you're with Tony Bennett, and he says, you want to go? I mean, how important was dinner? Well, yeah, you know, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm with Tony Bennett. I was all excited. Heck yeah, man. So we get in his car, and out we go to his, uh, and there, there was a nice crowd there, and there were all his paintings and well now if you're with Tony Bennett and he says do you like any of these what are you going to say damn I see what's coming oh man so and I see one there that has a number that's a little bit less they all were very expensive and this was and it was a nice painting it was of Central Park from his window because he lives on Fifth I shouldn't say where he lives, but he lives in Central Park. <laughs> the address. And out of his window, so it was a painting of Central Park from his window. And I figured that That's was cool. a, which some of them were just, I mean, ridiculously expensive. But this was expensive, and it said something like eighteen thousand. So I figured eighteen thousand no. dollars. But it's a Tony Bennett painting. It's pay. a collection piece, right? Yeah. So I said, well, gosh, this it wasn't the best one there, but it would like the only one. I didn't know what I was going to tell Mickey when I got home. <laughs> it gets worse. So, I'll take that. He said, oh, that's great. And he told me the whole story behind it, whatever. So, you know, you walk up there and they take your card and all that. It was in pounds. Oh, shoot. <laughs> Back then, $35,000. <laughs> ha! Oh, my God. I almost had a heart attack. <laughs> oh but everybody and, they, and the photographers are snapping <laughs> pictures. <laughs> what was I going to do? That's great. And we That's have Tony Bennett. Bennett's- he signed it. Uh, Beneducci. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, 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 I should remember what his real name is. But anyway. But anyway, we have that painting now in our home. Yeah. And, and we'll uh, be
0: buried with it. Yeah. Wow. yeah. <laughs>
1: What do you mean we moved into it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got some plumbing out of the back. Right. and It's great. That's, but a that's, great story. that's, yeah. that's a very good yeah, story. What you So you do? had to make a big deal about a fourth dollars yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. 50 yeah, yeah. years yeah. of friendship <laughs> and can't it's, a point.
2: Point. it's a fair point. Fair point. What's oh my God. 10
1: to Well, it's about $200 a year.
2: Yeah. Well, there. <laughs> what's 200 yeah, yeah.
1: times 50? That's for this year. 10, yeah. $10, that's for this year. 10, uh,
2: one other thing, uh, we saw, and we recommended. it. <laughs> yeah. Math is good. Uh, well, it, <laughs> he, I forgot
1: to carry the... Yeah.
2: yeah. In the audience... Wow. You, you can't see this, but in the audience is a f- banker friend of Jerry. <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> he's got to keep him around just for incidents like this. Who's
2: that. still shaking his head. He can't yeah. believe he did that. But he's helping him with math. All yeah. right. Uh, can we sell the plane? Can we yeah. sell the
4: plane?
1: <laughs> Anyone out there wants to buy a plane?
4: (laughs) Oh, my
0: Lord. All right, we're going to move on to some music here, ladies and gentlemen.
1: (laughs) We're so sorry
0: you had a Welcome to Hammer and Hatchet this evening. Welcome, guys. All right. So we have John and Jane, correct? Jamie. I, Jamie, I'm sorry, I couldn't read that. Sorry. Well, welcome, yeah. I and mean, we've not had you on the show before, so Go. we're very excited. Tell us a little bit about yourselves. You're from Indiana. Yes, right. All yeah. right.
5: Yeah. We live down there, uh, well, up there, uh, Nashville, Indiana. Okay. Valley County, uh, big music town, little music town there. Yeah. <laughs> what
0: brings you to the Cincinnati area? Are you playing locally, or well, we do
5: play locally? We play okay. Southgate House, and made nice. a special
0: yeah. trip just for you. Just That's for right. Jerry. Stay. Aww. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, first song that we're going to be listening to tonight is Kentucky Anna Blues. That's right. All right. Let's hear it. Hammer and Hatchet.
6: Come on, Anna, won't you pick up your phone? I know bad reception can be a gift in those hills that you call home My boss called me and they've had another wreck in the mill The casters are down I'm stuck out in Crawfordsville Yes, I'm stuck out in Crawfordsville Kentucky and the Blues. And I won't be down for a while. No, I won't make it down for a while. And I've got those Kentucky. godforsaken mill well i'm stuck here in crawfordsville those kentucky and the blues and i won't be down for a while no i won't make it down for a while i've got those kentucky Blues, can't
5: I oh. yeah. so it
0: says you guys are working on your third album, is that correct? That's
5: true. And
0: so how long have you been playing together in this format?
5: Well, we're going on four years.
0: Four years? Yep. And did you both do stuff? Prior to this, individually, or is this?
5: I have found Jamie.
0: You found Jamie. <laughs> when I,
5: yeah, when I found Jamie, where would you find her? Playing guitar down Brown County. I lived in Indianapolis. You're
0: naturally, at a house party in Brown County. No <laughs> yeah. kidding.
1: Your harmony is beautiful. Great. Um, yeah, thank Man. you so
0: much. Yeah, no, um, I didn't play music before I met John, but after a few months, I decided to pick up a guitar and
1: oh, and no kidding.
0: So, yeah, and I
1: love how you put uh, Indiana and. Kentucky together Kentucky and you know. yeah I, when you put Ohio and Kentucky together it's Ohio yucky uh, I was trying I mean, to do that, that earlier I
0: didn't know the official pronunciation so yeah. thank you
1: yeah. <laughs> is there a song Ohayucky?
0: well there will be now thank we'll you Jerry on. another, yeah. another yes. contribution to society <laughs> I'm not You're sure how, how to rhyme that place. just yet <laughs> and your next song so if you'd like to hear more from them you can certainly check them out on their website at thehammer and the and we'll be looking forward to your third album coming out. And your second song this evening is?
5: called Ferris Hill Massacre. Ferris and, Hill um, Massacre. It's a quick rundown on it. Something affects us. And I, you're doing a program with songs about? Um,
0: Social activism sure. and yeah. 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 this sort of thing. In fact, let
2: me jump in. We, on our website, go right now to jerryspringer.com and you'll see the Cincinnati Activist Artists talent search and these Mm -hmm. are people who are songwriters who are hooking up with worthy nonprofits in Cincinnati there's a GoFundMe button below that and if you click on that it's GoFundMe.com forward slash music to life and we beseech you donate any amount large or small to that so that's what that's about
0: yeah we do work with Indiana Forest Alliance and um, they work with uh, keeping our public forests public and not logged for money um, that's really a big uh, important cause to us. And so this song is uh, written about that
6: issue.
4: Good for you. Okay. Excellent yeah.
6: Say old Bill. Heard your bottom up Ferris Hill. No, I've seen those big machines coming around Say, old oh, Bill You're still kicking back that swim That your son runs off way back up in the hollow I think you've lost your mind 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 I remember a time Back before you came around When that hill for me became hallowed ground I hiked up to the top The day a good friend checked out I fell apart up there But I don't think you could give a damn about I swear I lost my mind 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 Now you're clearing off all the big timber. Bill? Hope you made a mighty good dollar. Just don't give a damn about all the tops you let fall and clog up our holler. Think you've lost your mind. Think you've lost your mind. Think you've lost your mind. my clear cool creek is well
0: brown. That was Hammer and Hatchet, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. Hammer and Hatchet. Check them out at hammerandhatchet.com. All right, and you get to fall into line here with the rest of all of our illustrious past guests and sing with Mr. Springer. <laughs> so we're going to ask you to Keep do it some down, th- keep <laughs> it down. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to keep Jerry in his chair. We're going to sing some down by the riverside. It
1: won't be necessary for you to do the best you can. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Keeping <laughs> that bar low, are you? All
0: right. <laughs> Again, check these, these guys out at hammerinthehatchet.com. Thank you very, very much. We really Loved enjoyed it. having Love you. Guys. Thank you for having us.
5: I appreciate you guys. I appreciate the discussions you guys had tonight. I have a daughter that's eight years old, so obviously the school shootings is very important to me. Yep. I appreciate your discussions. Yeah, Thank
0: you. you. Absolutely. Thank you, guys mm Recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com.